I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Great panel. Uh, again, uh, let me start by introducing everybody I have here. I have uh, Adam uh, Fowler, uh, who is joining us here from LA uh, with uh, the Beacon Economics Group. And uh, thank, you, thank you for joining us, Adam. Um, we have Kwande Kafense, who is the executive director of the radio station uh, CKCU and an artist in his own right as an underground scene DJ. And I hope that he is going to share some of his insight into that space. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, least, uh, but, uh, last but not least, uh, Louis-Étienne Dubois, who is uh, a prof at uh, Ryerson University in Toronto, even though he's joining us from the great outdoors of Quebec. Uh, thanks all <laughs> for joining us. Uh, and I, I guess we're going to start by, and I'm Dr. Stan Renard. I live in San Antonio, Texas. So we are four folks who come from uh, two different kind of uh, city and uh, economy spaces, perhaps two larger uh, city spaces such as Toronto and LA, and uh, two smaller, you know, uh, musical ecosystems such as uh, San Antonio and uh, Ottawa. Ottawa. Yes. So why don't we start with uh, Kwande? Kwande, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your scene, uh, the work mm -hmm. you do, and how you are, you know, how has the pandemic changed uh, your dynamic in the space that you work in? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question because where I live in Ottawa, which is the unceded territory of the Algonquin, Anishinaabe people, uh, that's the indigenous people of this place who have stewarded it for like millennia. Or I should say, I guess my my work here, you know, is, is I've had a, quite a spatial practice and several spatial practices. One of them is this underground sort of, as I said, DJ performance practice, uh, which we've been doing for about 15 years, something called Time Code. And it's something that in the context of our conversation here, single use spaces, you know, we have always had our uh, we've always had our our club nights in spaces that were not nightclubs, partially because we wanted to avoid that exclusive nightclub label and sort of what comes with using that kind of a single purpose space. We were actually, we would always find ourselves in restaurants, in, in, in social clubs, um, sort of like ethnic community social clubs, pan-African social clubs, Greek social clubs. These kinds of spaces were always sort of like the kinds of spaces that we would inhabit to be doing our work uh, in terms of, in terms of, you know, producing these events and experiences. Now, as sort of the executive director of CKCU, you know, we also had tradition, have had a, you know, we've had a, this is a station that's been around for 45 years. And so it has a very embedded, and I would say traditional spatial practice as it relates 
to a broadcast. So people come to the studio, people come to the station, and that's how it happens. They come to the station, they go in the studio, they push the faders, they interact with, you know, and that's, and now, you know, because of the pandemic, we've had to really rethink the spatial practice of broadcasting and of, and of how we think about our organization, because really our organization was really, we realized how much our organization was based off of people interacting in this space. And absent that space, what is our organization? How do we modernize our operations such that we can be an organization that doesn't have that kind of spatial core? And, you know, and that's something that, uh, you know, that's something that we're going to have to think about even not just now in terms of the way we use our space now, but in the future as we develop new space, because I don't think we're going to want a kind of single purpose we're just in a radio station kind of space. We're going to want to connect it with more uses to make it more sustainable. So I'll, I'll leave it there and just sort of like to speak to those two, two components of, of, of the work. Uh, so Louis Etienne, tell us a little bit about your work, uh, you know, as an academic, uh, writing about the creative ecosystem the, that's, uh, you know, urban development uh, tied to uh, maybe the venue space, as well as, you know, what is going on in Toronto? And uh, finally, the f f uh, last piece, I know that you have one of these connected to Cirque du Soleil and that entire group uh, in Montreal. And I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit about insight about what's going on there Great. as well. Well, I mean, when it comes to Toronto, I mean, we've been working with the uh, venue owners, uh, venue managers for a few months now. We had this initiative that we called Lights On, in which the you know different partners, including the largest venue in, in Toronto, which is it used to be called the Sony Center. Uh, now, I believe it's the Meridian Center of the Arts for the Arts. Uh, so that's the biggest venue that we have, but also kind of smaller venues, underground venues, working with the city of Toronto as well on this. So I can tell you at the moment, not much is happening um, because the, you know, because the rules uh, and the legislation doesn't allow for it, not even rehearsal. So a lot of the, the, the venues are effectively shut down. Uh, many won't reopen uh, and they won't reopen. You know, the pandemic was the, the, the last uh, nail in the coffin, but really the, the, you know, those venues have been under a tremendous amount of pressure in the last few years. Uh, because of a, a really, really hot real estate market that is looking at, uh, you know, building more office uh, space and condo buildings. Um, so those 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 smaller venues were closing to begin with. And the fear is that coming out of this pandemic, there won't be any venues left uh, to support a thriving underground scene uh, that is essential for that ecosystem. Uh, and for emerging artists uh, to, to to be able to you know to, to break out, so that is a that is a big concern. Uh, the bigger venues, I mean, again, because no no one is allowed within those spaces. The bigger venues are at the moment investing on uh, HVAC systems, uh, just developing better quality of air uh, systems and and standards. So they're you know using that time to rethink their space, repurpose their, their space, upgrade. Uh, because I mean, the audience will be expecting uh, those sort of norms and, and and standards coming out of the pandemic. So the big ones can't afford. Again, the fear is on the small ones. And uh, interestingly, I had this call this morning with the city of Toronto, and we're looking at: is there a way that we can help some of the smaller venues by getting a, a you know better prices on these uh, on these upgrades? 
by you know making just a, a kind of bulk purchases for smaller venues, right? Because there is some government assistance, there is some government money to help those venues, uh, but the small guys are going to have a lot of you know they don't have much of a bargaining power uh, and may not get uh, and you know a lot for their money. So that's one thing that we're looking at doing. You, you mentioned Cirque du Soleil, and because this is a, a panel on on venue and space. I will just say, you know, tell you this. One of the things we've we've been seeing at Cirque du Soleil, you know, it's 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 a, like many entertainment companies, they're extremely secretive. We have seen them over the last few months change and open up to their ecosystem. So we've seen that we we have seen them, for instance, open up their studios uh, and rehearsal spaces to any circus artist in the Montreal area, which is something that Cirque has never done. Right. So, you know, just looking at these larger organizations trying to maybe move into that space of trying to help the underground or emerging artists is really, really interesting. And seeing that there is some capacity there that is underutilized and that could be put towards, you know, a a better purpose. We've seen this. There's this large venue in Montreal called, called Place des Arts as well. So Place des Arts, you know, it's not something that is accessible or affordable for emerging artists. But they've been also giving time and opening their doors to support uh, smaller uh, actors in that ecosystem. So that's interesting. So I think this is something we're going to see in the in the coming uh, months and coming out of this pandemic is that those who survived, those who had the financial uh, means to survive, will um, look at ways to support the, their ecosystem by, again, sharing that space that they've been using for themselves uh, for so long. Thank you, Louis Etienne. Let's move on to Adam. Adam, you are our economics expert here on on this panel. Um, you know, I I know that when we prepared for this talk, we we talked uh, about first uh, the LA ecosystem, and I, I want you certainly to to tell us about that and what's going on in your city, uh, but also to tell us a little bit about that you know that uh, close tie in between the movie studios and uh, the film industry and uh, and and the music sector and uh, and what has been happening there as well. Thank you. Absolutely. So we are a firm that uh, focuses on the creative economy and the ecosystems and a lot of different uh, areas and music and its relationship to film, digital media, other forms is, is really important. I think in Los Angeles, there were a lot of obstacles before the pandemic. With so many other challenges, this is another example of trends either being kind of fast-forwarded or existing challenges being brought to light um, a little more in, in, a, in a little more bright way. Uh, in Los Angeles, as in many cities, you know, we look at a lot of the kind of normal indicators. So employment, you know, patents in these spaces, a lot of things. One of the interesting things that we have been raising a red flag about for a long time and been a little bit frustrated with the the economic work done in this space is around the policy of the regulatory infrastructure. So in Los Angeles, for example, maybe we think about the Sunset Strip. The Sunset Strip had challenges where a lot of those venues, uh, because of local regulatory structures, we're making their revenue from billboards uh, much more than, uh, you know, music programming. Um, we in Los Angeles space is so important, um, but how we approach it is generally not very well tethered to market activity. So um, when we were talking about like the market around what the future of an independent radio station looks like, 
Maybe that's uh, you're factoring in variables around talent. What is the, the generational talent needs? What kind of spaces do they want to work in? What are the rental, you know, what does the organization look like? And one of the interesting things is the regulatory infrastructure is oftentimes frozen in amber in a, in a previous economic period. So, you know, all the questions about gig work, that is because the systems are for a different type of work. The same thing with space is going to become very apparent very quickly. Uh, we have per capita in the United States, a glut of retail compared to any other uh, any other comparable GDP producing nation. Uh, in Los Angeles, we have office, we have retail, and we have very little space that is allowed to be flexible as the music environment evolves. So when restaurants are able to open, there would be challenges, right? Everybody, the, the restaurants were the first thing. We, we went through all the red tape, got them outdoors, retook the curbs. But when it came to maybe uh, an acoustic performance, uh, joining them, that's an entire other regulatory infrastructure that often doesn't talk to the health department, for example, in Los Angeles. What we fear is that a lot of office, mixed-use, retail isn't going to be able to be adapted to the needs of the creative industries writ large, whether it's the underground scene since, you know, the ghost ship fire in Oakland. The regulatory infrastructure has tried a kind of a CYA like not my area. I'm not like when we when we look and see market demand for these types of events, bringing diverse voices in through those pipelines. That's a real problem. Right. We're not actually making investment legal. Another example, you know, we think about Los Angeles, you think about the heyday of Laurel Canyon and all those in-home studios. There are actually no the regulatory framework around those. Most of those are illegal. Right. Um, there's been a lot of good reporting on like that ecosystem um, is actually off the books. And oftentimes mm -hmm. the wealthier folks that are able to invest in that home infrastructure are the ones that are able to now and navigate any sort of legal challenges. So in Los Angeles and a lot of bigger cities, we need to legalize the space to bring together where the market is going. We can show all the data on uh, Spotify subscriptions, the kind of demand side. But on the supply side, we are artificially constraining um, that opportunity in so many different forms. And I think it, it is an area that is overlooked in a lot of the, the data analysis around this space. You know, there's a lot of reports how to make your city the next Austin, um, but they don't go into the logistics. And even for you know, the cost of nonprofits, right? Like if a city wants to do good, put some incubation space together uh, or nonprofit radio stations, they're still tenants. They're still commercial tenants, just like Warner Music, like just like any big pocketed. And so all the money we throw at it when there is a lack of supply, it ends up going to their rent. And so like we're not cultivating our bang for our public dollar is not being uh, uh, used in such a, an important way. So that's the challenge we're really thinking about working on and uh, um, kind of banging that drum really hard right now. Wow. You gave us a lot to think about here, Adam. Uh, yeah. You know, what Adam said is something that resonates with me, you know, prior to uh, being executive director at this station. Uh, I worked as the cultural industries development officer for the city of Ottawa, doing a lot of the kind of work that Adam was talking about in terms of trying to make the connections between these different 
you know, policy, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, silos within uh, the municipality uh, to ensure that these industries are able to develop and thrive because each of them have dynamics that as yeah as 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 was said you know uh, not just market dynamics uh, in terms of consumption but uh, but di- but you know spatial dynamics as far as production you know understanding that is a critical thing and it's something that you know in addition to sort of doing that work with the city I also did some research in my in my I guess that yeah I, it was a master's that I did. Uh, uh, at an ar- it was an architecture-based master's in space syntax, which really focused on the configuration of, of sort of cultural ecosystems and value chains. And there are distinct spatial patterns, or I guess there are di- distinct spatial patterns of production. And without taking those into account, you know, it's difficult to, as Adam said, maximize uh, what's possible uh, in terms of these resources that are in community. We understand that uh, you know part of the venue space is also the uh, the touring aspect of the business we're in, right? Uh, you know, quoting Quande uh, on this one, uh, we're very much in a network-based industry, and uh, so uh, we have limitations right now for touring. How are you seeing a go- getting beyond that limitation or dealing with it? Uh, either in the short term or the longer term, how are you seeing this evolve? Uh, let's start with Adam. You know, I think leveraging your resources locally is going to be very important. Um, touring has been a backbone. I think it's been, you know, when folks talk about, oh, we don't get the return on the CD sales anymore, you have to do the live products. We all know that narrative. I think looking internally um, as maybe like you've got to lean on your local resources, your local assets, your local talent, Uh, more regularly in a period of like, you know, closed community that a respiratory virus like this uh, makes us all lean on. I think for us, again, this is we're beginning to think about leveraging new data, right? So when you look at like the rise of Bandcamp or uh, Spotify's data on where talent is, connecting talent to opportunities in local areas, we think is very important. Now, it's not only in like the formal kind of music Uh, space. But you think about graphic design, you think about video production, you think about a lot of the kind of creative occupations. There is a lot of opportunity in existing uh, other industries. So if you think about the law firm that needs uh, video and maybe some audio work done, uh, music, some composing done for some of their online... Connecting those folks there that are locally, I think, gives an opportunity outside of the performances that Uh, folks just aren't taking advantage of right now. When we look at the number of talented bands that are here in Los Angeles and the connections that are being made, the convening activity, we just don't see enough of it happening. And I think there's a pent up demand um, uh, for plugging those folks into opportunities in a world that we're, we have to kind of stay local. Awesome. Luigi Chan. Well, touring is an interesting one, Stan, uh, on many, many levels. One of the things we were seeing before the pandemic is companies trying to Uh, or bands, or, you know, if I look at an organization like Cirque du Soleil, trying to optimize their routes a little bit better, right? It it made little sense for a company to go from, if if I just look at Allegria that last year that went from Montreal to Toronto, then to Florida, and then I I believe the next date was Boston or Chicago, right? So it's, it's, it's going all over the place. And it's, there was a, there was kind of a footprint or sustainability issue behind that 
Now, the issue is, even if you're trying to do a little bit better in terms of storing, you may have less uh, venues in which you can perform. You may have to compete with also, you know, everybody else who's trying to get a date or a, you know, a, a venue booked uh, when things reopen. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but I can, I, can see, I can see a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in Canada, touring is, uh, is, is a big uh, issue because, for one, our borders with the states are still closed. Uh, and look like, you know, they're going to be closed uh, for the summer. So already we're seeing some cancellations, uh, big festivals. Oceaga, again, uh, was was canceled this week. Uh, so big events, you know, and, and in part because, one, the bands can't come. Or if they come, they would have to quarantine, but then they're booked somewhere else. And that's not going to work. But two, the tourists, uh, you know, potential uh, festival goers are just not allowed to come as well. So until those those uh, you know borders remain closed and and, and regulations remain uh, in full force, you know, I, I don't see uh, I don't see a lot of action uh, or, or 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 tours uh, in Canada at least. Awesome, thank you, Kwande. Kwande, and I think that like you know for me this is something that I recall that harkens back to. Uh, when I was working in government, I would always recognizing that economic development is primarily about um, is primarily about export based development and sort of like the idea of things from out, you know, selling stuff from in here to out there and sort of like the idea that there's more out there than there is in here. So we should be trying to orient our product towards out there. And, you know, I was always someone who would beat the drum around local income capture based strategies because I just, you know, I just saw that like, well, yeah, obviously there's a lot out there, but it's like, I just, I always felt like, you know, there's a real value in developing also strategies, you know, that are really targeted internally. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where things are going to have to go for the next little bit, like really understanding um, local markets and and developing local income capture based economic development strategies and uh, and 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 not only that like just development strategies as organizations mm-hmm. and so and and yeah you know I think that that and that will have a, that'll have a significant effect obviously as we talked about as you know as we said on on the way that on the way that critical components of things like space are consumed and so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we just have about five minutes left on this panel. And uh, since we're talking about rethinking space, I know we mm-hmm. didn't discuss this in our in, in our uh, warm-up call for this conversation, mm-hmm. but since I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm thinking, what about cyberspace as a space mm-hmm. for the work that we do? Kwande, do you want to like uh, you know give us your two bits on that? Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's what that's one of the most interesting areas for us right now as a media organization that's really rethinking ourselves and thinking about, you know, how do we create an organization that exists in cyberspace in a different but connected way to the way that we existed as a physical organization? You know, we have a network of over 150 volunteers in 10 or 10, over 10 different languages, 20 different ethnicities that all sort of use this space and connected through this space. And we have to be able to find a way to do that, you know, online in a way that is, you know, safe, that they're not getting advertised at, that like, you know, that is actually uh, a real, you know, that we can really simulate the dynamics of convening. 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, is an interesting challenge that I'm really looking forward to in the cyberspace area. And another one, you know, just connected to that is, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, one of the other values of space is the way that it captures value. And so one of the cool things about like touring is that when you come into a city, when people come into a city, there's all this ancillary value that, you know, they spend on hotels, they spend on all this other stuff and the money gets spread around and so on and so forth. And so it's also about using the digital world as, uh, a, you know, what ways in the digital world can we be capturing that kind of value? Can we be, or how can we be using the digital world to capture value for localities? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that I'm thinking about. Right. So, Luia Tian, uh, if you could chime in on that, but also in terms of, you know, the, using the sp- cyberspace and maybe not have the, that limit of production that perhaps the physical space has, but also the ability to scale the work that we do. Uh, do you want to maybe share your insights into, into that topic? Yeah, one of the things we've, we've, we've been seeing, I mean, a lot of venues have, have kind of repurposed themselves into these uh, studios for virtual uh, recording, r- virtual productions. Uh, again, one thing that's happening is that those venues are not being used because you can't even be in a space to record or to rehearse. Uh, so kind of that, that experiment is a little bit stalled. You know, I think moving forward, a lot of organizations or, or artists that, that experience with this format will be using it as a kind of a supplement to their other offerings as, as something that they can add as an additional revenue streams for in terms of business model. But I don't see it replacing uh, or kind of just shifting where that, you know, the for instance, just the, the music industry, I mean, increasingly reliant on, on these concerts uh, in terms of generating the bulk of their their income. So I don't see it replacing it. I, I don't see, again, it, it it's good. You may be able to reach some more people uh, but I think the audience will be lo- looking forward to, to 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 go back to a live concert and to to get that experience again. If I just look not that far back from for a city like Toronto, I mean SARS didn't have much of an impact uh, in terms of what it changed uh, in terms of uh, practices on site, nor in terms of audience. So, you know, if we if, if we manage to bounce back from SARS, I think we can bounce back from COVID. Uh, 9-11 had more of an, an impact uh, in terms of security uh, processes around the event and crowd management. So I think I, I'm expecting some sort of, of changes along along those lines in terms of sanitation, the same way 9-11 had an impact in terms of security. Mm-hmm. But people are still going to be looking for that live experience. So good if they can add some virtual component to it, but not not to the point of replacing it. Awesome. Uh, Adam, do you want to chime in? We just have about a minute and a half left, so it's all yours. Sure. I mean, I think I'll put the economist hat on. I think to make these cases, I think supplementing um, is going to be very important. That entrepreneurial activity um, is going to be really key, especially in these creative spaces. The thing is, in order to make the case to workforce development boards, to economic developers, you have to have data. And when it comes to 1099 work, contract work, self-employed work, that data is quite miserably uh, hard to put together. So everybody will look at what the payroll numbers are. That is tethered to where your office zip code, where your check comes from. And that may not be where you're working. And I think we're pushing hard with the new administration federally in the United States to make sure that we get a better read. There are a lot of folks that have really important income streams from things like Etsy, from a lot of these music platforms. We've seen it. We've seen it. And what's 
you that is not being folded into the formal economic development strategy. And there's a lot of entrepreneurial services um, uh, in standing up those types of businesses that we need to make available to folks as they look to like supplement um, the old with uh, a foot in the new. Awesome. I want to thank you all for joining us. This was just a great, great panel. Uh, it's been a pleasure for me to get to meet all of you. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.